Welcome to another episode of Crunch with the Mythos Manual. I'm Leslie Wisniewski. I'm the producer of the podcast. I'm sitting here per usual with our game master, Calder David. Hey, everybody. All right, let's talk a little bit about the last two episodes. A lot of excitement has been happening in Avuba. Seems like the team finally solved the great mystery of the missing face. By solved, you mean I told them, Yes. Well, I mean, they eventually kind of figured it out. Sort of. Kind of. Not really. No, I, I told them. And then they're like, oh, like, it's okay. Like, it's fine that they never got it. It would have been cooler if they'd gotten it earlier, but maybe that's my own failure. Well, if I guess if you had to do it all again, what would be something that you would have potentially done differently? Nothing. Nothing? Have different players? Maybe. <laughs> have smarter people in my life no um i don't know i felt like there was like because as written i had kind of intended that there were going to be more clues for them to find at the warehouse but they just never decided to go there right so then it was just a matter of them happening to to almost like follow duke luca and his band of miscreants to the docks to their boat if someone found themselves in a similar situation and they were jamming a game that had a mystery element and the players were just not getting it Uh, would your advice be to just stay the course, try to find new ways to introduce breadcrumbs? Because I think if you were to go back and listen to previous episodes, the breadcrumbs are very much there. Even in the second episode, whenever the the gang follows the the zombie, that you specifically say that there's like dirt and vines uh, in reference to the yellow musk creepers. Right. But I also like went out of my way to make sure, like I never... Had them roll, like, nature checks against the yellow mask creepers. Like, they could have, by rules. Like, they could have been, like, I roll a knowledge nature check. Or I could have been, like, as a GM, I should have said, like, roll a knowledge nature check. Because these are technically plants. Mm-hmm. And I never did that. Because I didn't want them to know. Because I think by the time they encounter the dire hyena that's been overtaken by the the adolescent musk creeper, it becomes much more obvious that there's something else going on that isn't purely oh, zombies. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like by the time they fought the dire zombie, the, the, that they fought the, like the plant zombie hyena creature, that they should have figured out more, and like they just didn't. It's fine. Well, that's at least they got the clue of DLE. Um. Sort of. Like, they got the clue of DLE right before. They, like, yeah, like yeah. it doesn't count. That doesn't count. Well, it wasn't right before, because also there is that... There was that moment when they're leaving the Emerald Inn, and you have Kafka make a perception check to re-describe the caravan that has the Duke Luca experience inscribed gaudy and, like, golden on the side of the caravan. Right. Very clearly kind of pointing them towards DLE, but still it just didn't... Didn't click. Did not click. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell you on this one. Like... No, like, it was supposed to be more of a, a mystery, and, like, I feel like they never realized it was a mystery. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I think that, uh, in a way, this was a really clever scenario in that it set up kind of the expectation that there's a necromancer who's arisen from the dead and is uh, taking revenge on this small town. Um, but really, that's that's just a, a red herring and a misdirection, and we find out 
or it's revealed to us relatively quickly that there's something else going on, it becomes pretty clear after a couple encounters with these zombie-type creatures that there is probably something else afoot. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe the risk with misdirection is while it can create a fun, surprising story experience for, for characters and players who are more experienced with a narrative structure, you do run the risk that the red herring becomes the herring? I don't know what the opposite of a red... It becomes the actual thing. They pursue the false lead all the way to a dead end and then are befuddled and confused. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that... I don't think that is an encouragement to drop those more complex um, stories that in, that involve misdirection. I think it can create really fun play experiences. And obviously everyone was really surprised whenever it was revealed to be Duke Luca behind all the nefarious activity. So if the players had gone to the warehouses, what were some of the clues that you had planned to kind of uh, present them with at that area? There were initially it was like zombies at the gates. They have to get through some zombies. Then they would have fought like another yellow musk creeper, mm-hmm. like another zombie that had turned, just had like finished its growth cycle and turned back into a yellow musk creeper. Mm-hmm. There was, which I added to the dock fight because that was yeah. there initially. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And then uh, what else? There was supposed to be like some bandits there that like were working for Duke Luca, who mm-hmm. like who had gone back to the docks, like, raided again after the after Duke Luca's initial raid. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, one of their members had been turned into a uh, zombie. Oh, no. Sad for them. I guess. They're a bunch of robbers. I know, but I, I guess I'm an empathetic person. That's true. And they don't exist anymore because they never went there. That's true. They just ceased to be. They ceased to be. You know, there's so many, I feel like, entertainment uh, properties that deal with, like, multiple timelines. And D&D must be the first and most classic because there's so many different, like, based on any decision, a story can go in a completely different direction. One thing that I did want to ask you that I found myself really curious about is it seemed like the players really went out of their way to take out experience before they took out anybody else. She was kind of hanging out on the boat with her big old saxophone, just kind of chilling. And everyone was convinced, number one, that she was a bard. And number two, that the most important thing to do was to take her out of the combat immediately. Which is why Kata jumped in the water and swam over there and snuck up behind her and killed her, like, really fast. Now, I think that was assuming a lot. But asking you here now, was experience a bard? Was that the right move to make? Do you think it is a good move tactically for players to try to take out a bard at the top of a combat? Uh, she was a bard, yes. That, like, she was very much a bard, and she would have given the rest of the group a bonus to, like, all of their attacks and stuff like that mm-hmm. had she been able to take actions. So I understand that kind of move. There's certain kinds of, um, when you're playing a tactical game, like, there's certain choices you want to make when choosing, like, what characters you're going to focus on and, like, what enemies you want to, like, make sure are taken out early in a combat because they're going to... If they stick around, all they're going to do is, like, empower the rest of them. It's like, you know, always you want to go after, like, clerics and wizards and, and bards because they help everyone else. Everyone else gets a bonus because of the bard's music. Right. That's true. That brings me to another question. I know a lot of times when we've sat down to play other games and individual party members are on the, in their own one-on-one combat with a bad guy, mm-hmm. a lot of times the feedback that I've heard from you specifically is... I don't know why everyone's dividing their labor when we could just be a united force against one big bad. Right. Do you find oftentimes that 
parties kind of divvy themselves up in a combat and that kind of makes a combat take longer yeah or become more complicated well yeah because you guys i've been playing this kind of game with you guys for a long time now and that is sort of one of my complaints whenever you guys complain to me about combats being hard is that like everyone decides to square off one-on-one versus like each having their own enemy and that's a that's bad tactics. That's not. I, I'm never going to reward you guys for doing bad tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't. You really. You know, it's smarter because it's about. It's always numbers, right? That's. It's the action economy of numbers. The less, even if they're powerful turns, like you want, or weaker turns, it doesn't matter because it's turns. Like it's still enemies getting to do things, and you not getting to do things. Like you know, like taking out enemies in any way, like making them run away or fall asleep or paralyzed or whatever is always good because you just, they have less turns and like less turns means it's less turns for them to hurt your characters. Yeah. Yeah. That's better. That that is just better tactics is to focus on like single enemies at a time versus like everyone doing a little bit of damage to all of them. Yeah, that's true. And I guess just looking at this most recent combat with Duke Luca and all of his minions is once Duke Luca surrendered, but I think the last remaining mook surrendered as well, correct? Yeah. So I guess my question would be if the team had just ganged up on Duke Luca and like beat the crap out of him and he surrendered, would all of his mooks have surrendered as well? Probably. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because he is their their brave leader. Right. Like he's their boss. That's exactly right. Like sometimes every fight is different. Some fights will end with, you know, will, won't end until you've killed all of your enemies. You have to kind of be in your NPC characters' heads, like all of them. It doesn't really matter what they are. They have to like at least have a perspective of like how they're going to see a combat and how they view their own lives and their own worth, I guess. Like yeah. something, you know, certain outsiders or undead and other kinds of creatures don't care, right? They, they, they're just single-minded killing machines. Like they're remorseless and they don't feel pain or whatever. And like <laughs> those ones, like they're not going to fight to the death, but like other guys are just like, I'm a bandit. Or like, like, like Duke Luca is like, I don't want to die. Yeah, exactly. Like Duke Luca doesn't want to die. And like, there's that great moment where they're like, give us your healing stuff. He's like, oh yes, here you go. Wait, oh, this one's for me. Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> that's very, oh, I found that very good and very funny. Um, are we going to find out what happens to Duke Luca? Maybe someday. Maybe someday the fate of Duke Luca will be revisited and he shall return well, to the Mythos Manual. Well, I can't wait for that. Let's talk a little bit about speaking more in a observational space for storytelling. One thing that I hear people talk about all the time, especially for roleplay games, is the, the notion of metagaming. Um, okay. Metagaming, if you're not familiar, listeners, is whenever you pause, essentially kind of pause the action of the game to have a conversation ab- uh, almost like above the situation to one another to kind of figure out a plan or talk using knowledge that your character would not have in that moment. I think maybe that's the best description of metagaming. Nope, that's great. I noticed in the final big encounter with Duke Luca and his uh, experienced troopers that there was a degree of metagaming that was taking place. And I thought this would be kind of a fun opportunity for uh, the two of us to talk a little bit about metagaming and for you as a game master, where you think it fits in or doesn't fit in to a good roleplay experience. Because I know there are some groups that don't want to metagame at all. You have to be in character from start to stop. And some people who maybe metagame more than is useful. I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about the boundaries there. I understand that because we've talked about this before. Like, we're not a full immersion group. Like, we're not the kind of people who are entirely in character all of the time. That's just not how we play. 
and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So metagaming is generally described as, yeah, people kind of talking about like battle combat or, you know, it's it's usually on the end of like thinking of the game as more than just like a role play experience to also kind of consider it as a game. And like there are people who are really, really anti that. I am not one of those people because mm-hmm. I feel like it is a game. It's not just a completely narrative experience. and I, like Yeah, I think I would find that if I was forced to be purely role-playing the entire time, it would hinder a lot of, like, clarity between myself and my party members. Right, exactly. And I feel like there's also this extent of... Some people don't like metagaming because it's like, oh, how would your character yell to, like, go flank with that other character across the battlefield or, or something like that, right? It's yeah. always like, how would, how would so-and-so know that, like, the wizard's about to hit everybody with a fireball so they should all move or something like, or something like that. And I've always kind of countered with, well, I'm not my character and you're not your character and your characters spend a lot all of their time together. So like there's an exception there has to be an acceptance that like the characters know each other very well and the characters know how to relate to each other and like what the other, you know, characters are po- capable of in a tactical sense. We have to imagine that the player characters are living in a world of their own where they spend a lot of time together. Exactly. Just and just like we, as friends who sit around a table playing together, spend a lot of time together. Exactly. So, you know, it, it could be taken too far, right? Like, it, like anything, it can be taken too far, and there's people who get really tactical with it and then maybe start dictating other people's turns or only think about, like, a game in terms of the metagame. Like, don't camp. There's, I've definitely known people like that, too, who, like, can't break into the role-playing side and really can only view the whole experience as a metagaming experience, like, mm-hmm. where they're just, like, trying to hit numbers with their dice, right? Like, at the end of the day, that's all you're trying to do is right. try to hit numbers with your dice. And that's not super fun either, so there has to be a limit to it. And I think that limit is just really a preference of, like, how everyone at the table wants it to be, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. I think that we saw a little bit of that whenever Kata got down to zero hit points and wanted to dive off the ship into the water and Paul was very quick to interject out of concern for the character because if she wasn't able to make it to shore or to safety in time she would have passed out and and drowned no one would have been able to help her but by pointing that out Alan and Chrissy were able to in turn point out that the dolphin summon was in the water and could save Kata so that she wouldn't drown and like I feel like that is a really great example. Right, like that's metagaming, yeah, but like... that is very much metagaming, but also it's it's adding to the experience. Right. It's not taking away from it. Agreed. It's making it more fun and not less fun. That's another example, because I think I even let the dolphin, like, breathe life back into Kata, yeah. which is 100% not okay. Like, that is not <laughs> a rule. I almost never allow for shit like that, but at that moment... <laughs> I did. Fun. I did a lot for it's. It's level one. I'm a little. I'm a little bit more lenient at level one. Mm-hmm. And they've been getting their asses handed to them because they don't have a good way of healing each other. Yeah, yeah. So. They do not yet have access to like really good methods of healing, uh, especially in the middle of combat without without Eulister whipping out a bunch of spells. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think maybe that's part of it too. Like, does your meta gaming add to the storytelling experience? Or are you maybe instead just trying to, like, inflict a degree of control over other people's decisions? Because, Mm -hmm. like, there has to be, I think, some sanctity in in being able to make a choice for your character. And that's not to say that I'm advocating for, like, decisions that lead to player versus player encounters or anything like that. But just that I think each player has the right to say, 
I understand your point of view to like another character or player, but I really have conviction that my player that my character would react in this way, and so they do. Um, and that was that was Christie's ultimate decision was she was like, I'm not gonna look for healing items on this boat. I'm just gonna dive off into the water because I want to see the dolphin. Right. I also did because I also sort of disagree with like Paul's choice of like maybe there's items on the boat. Like I'm just like as the GM, I'm just gonna be like here's some healing potions in the boat really conveniently, which sometimes I'll do, but, like, don't expect that. Don't be, like, don't, don't point that out as, like, a narrative thing I might do. Once you've done that, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, once you be like, oh, maybe there's potions on in this crate. No, now there's not. Maybe there were, but now that you're, look, I, like, yeah, you're spoiling for it. You think I'm going to take care of you. In a way, it's, like, it's almost like that's when you see maybe a negative crossover of video game mentality in RPG. The idea that, like, every box that you're surrounded by is has been put there with potentially something inside of it to help you. Mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily always the case. Because that kind of goes back a little bit to how we were talking about dungeon ecology. Right. Um, why yeah. would Duke Luca have a bunch of healing potions just sitting out at the top of his boat? Right. I don't. He's a jewel thief. Like, why would? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I definitely think there is a place for a little bit of metagaming, if only for clarity and understanding between players and, and it's game for ta- yeah for certain games you have it's okay i think like pathfinder and dungeon and dragons are both a little bit more tactical right you mm-hmm. can have a little bit more fun with like it matters on like where your character's positions are and like what spells are happening and like yeah. effects going on and yada yada and all that like lends to it. it's like a tactical gameplay but other games which are just narrative based things like you know dungeon world or I don't know, like any of the like the Warren is probably a yeah good any example. of the yeah any of the Age of Apocalypse not Age of Apocalypse powered by the Apocalypse systems which are just narrative based right like it doesn't really matter what quote unquote like my moves are I'm just gonna describe a thing and roll and like it doesn't it's a little more wishy washy it's a little just more narrative based that way there is no meta game essentially because like the story is entirely narrative but like games like this are more of a marriage between tactical and narrative yeah and i i personally have definitely had experiences playing 5th edition purely using theater of the mind and it gets very confusing especially when you're in a dungeon that's like a labyrinth that you're trying to figure out have we gone down this hallway before and then you have people kind of even though it's theater of the mind, people are like drawing out the dungeon, trying to track like where they've been so that it's not so confusing and befuddling. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, at least for, for Mythos Manual, we do utilize maps. We do utilize min- minis just to make sure that like, I'm a maps and minis person. Yeah. But uh, even, you can't take my minis from me. No, I know. <laughs> I know you can't. Um, but because this is a podcast, there might be kind of the question of like, what's the point of having maps and minis? But I think at the end of the day, these are just more tools to help there be cohesion and understanding. I agree. That's also, I would say, for game, for certain games, especially Pathfinder, it's such a tactical game that not using maps and minis, I find, is actually a disservice to the experience mm. because you're just kind of, I don't know. I, I think that like half of the fun is like actual the tactical like choices that you're making. I definitely think that a lot of Pathfinder scenarios that I've had the pleasure of playing there's almost always something within your environment to use to your best advantage. and The best ones, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and having those ways to, to think outside the box beyond your own character, I think it can be really rewarding as a player because even though the, the game has given you a way to get the upper hand, if you 
just like if you make that connection in your head and figure it out, it feels almost like you've outsmarted the system. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's definitely something to be said for that kind of experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, Duke Luca has been unmasked. He would have gotten away for it, too, if it weren't for those meddling adventurers and their dumb goat. Uh, so what's going to happen next? Is it time to head into the jungle? I think it's just about time to get going on the on the actual jungle adventure, you know, going up the river, doing some sort of crazy riverboat story. Ooh, well, I'm very excited, very much looking forward to it. Um, feel free, listeners, if you have thoughts on metagaming, if you have thoughts on misdirection and mystery, feel free to send them to us, give us your thoughts, and maybe we'll talk about them next time. And I think that's a good place to leave it for now. Cal, thank you again so much, per usual, for sitting down with me to talk about all this stuff. Of course. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week on the Mythos Manual, and we'll see where our adventure takes our team next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mythos Manual. Be sure to check us out on our socials at Mythos Manual or our website, mythosmanual.com. May all your rolls be 20s.